Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. All right, so why don't we talk about last night's game? That's where we start every single Friday by talking about the Thursday matchup. C-Town, it is okay to breathe if you still have not. Just breathe. Not only did your Browns avoid gagging, suffocating, and melting down on national TV last night, and for a moment it looked like they might, they did actually finish. They did actually win. They actually did not choke and then go in on their own fans after imploding on the field themselves. They did not choke on, the, choke on their own vomit. They got it done. Now, I can't say that much for the Steelers, though, because the Steelers' first highlight of the night was essentially their only highlight of the night. But hey, at least it was an incredible highlight. Trubisky gets out of the pocket, throws, looks, deep ball down the right side. It is hauled in. Oh, what a catch. George Pickens in a matchup with Emerson. Rookie against rookie, and Pickens picks it out of the air. Pickens makes an incredible one-hand snag while falling to the ground. And he got away with a little shove right there, but still the catch was incredible. A glimpse of what this guy can do. Was that Beckham-esque? It really was. Diving, reaching out. You need a big paw to be able to bring that ball in. Westwood won. A legitimately great, great catch. Not better than Beckham snag, but the fact that I even had to say that Tells you all you need to know about that catch. Even crazier when you realize that that was Pickens' fourth career reception. This dude's been in the league like 10 seconds, and he already made a play that we'll be watching for the rest of our lives. Now, I would love to let that catch get me all hyped up about this dude's future, but, well, but, Mitch Trubisky. How hyped can you get about anybody's future when Mitch Trubisky is QB1? Or, on top of that, his offensive coordinator is Matt Canada. Neither of these dudes are inspiring confidence in Steeltown. In fact, they've got to be two of the most hated people in all of Pittsburgh this morning. Because all of Pittsburgh is ready for Kenny Pickett. And if you watched that game last night, you're definitely ready for Kenny Pickett. Mitch needed an enormous night in front of a national audience on a really big stage except Mitch did not have an enormous night on a really big stage. In fact, Mitch had about the most dull, boring, least exciting, smallest night imaginable. I mean, no, he wasn't quite as horrible as he normally is, but that's about the only positive thing I can say about that guy. He threw for just over 200 yards. He had no touchdowns passing. The Steelers punted on their first four possessions of the second half. They couldn't move the ball in Brown's choke time. Uh, crunch time and most of all they did not do a damn thing when it mattered most Pittsburgh or to use yet another horse racing analogy when the real running began they weren't there so a bad night for Mitch a bad night for Mitch who absolutely had to have a great night but maybe arguably even a worse night for his OC Matt Canada oh Matt Canada The only person in Pittsburgh less popular than Mitchell T. right now is Matt Nova Scotia. He's lost the right to rock the name Canada. Matty Manitoba has been running a stale, 
bore you to tears scheme for years. However, before this year, he always had Big Ben's big shadow for cover. Now, Matt Saskatchewan has nowhere to hide. Basically, there's not a single Steeler fan who wants to see any more of the Matthew British Columbia and Mitch Trubisky combo. In fact, I don't think they want to see any more of either dude. But if you're looking for changes over the next 10 days before their next game, Steeler fan, you can go ahead and stop looking and quit asking because Mike Tomlin ain't hearing it. Like heading into the mini buy that you guys have, do you consider making any changes whether quarterback play calling? I'm, I'm not in that mindset. Um, I'm interested in reviewing this tape and looking at the totality of it and figuring out how we collectively get better. So the answer to that question is definitively no. Like, what did you think of Mitch Trubisky's performance? I thought he made some plays, man, but we all collectively came up short. And, and so, you know, that's how we measure performance, man. Winning is our business, and we didn't handle business. And so we don't, you know, break that apart and look for the feel good. So, would you consider or actually make a move regarding your quarterback in the next 10 days? Quote, definitively no. Definitively no. My reaction to that is... That's definitively a lie. Definitively no. And if it's not definitively a lie, then it's definitively crazy. Definitively no. It's not like Mike Tomlin does not have options. We all know he's got a first-round draft pick holding a clipboard on the sideline right now. Right now, I should say. Definitely no. I was going to say definitively no. Definitively no. Definitively no is what all of Pittsburgh, no hell, all of America, no hell, the entire planet is saying to this notion of ever watching another Mitch Trubisky start in black and yellow. Definitively no. Definitively no. But to his point, Trubisky was not the only one who did not do his job last night. It was not all about the offense being horrible. Their defense was nearly as bad. And the Browns do deserve, I guess, a sliver of credit. But not for that hideous nonsense that's going on in midfield. I still can't believe that one's on the fans. Rough look, dog pound. And no, not for the incredibly cringe guitar slam stunt before the game. Smash, smash, smash. Yeah, more like pass, pass, pass. Hard pass. No thanks. Don't need that. It doesn't even make sense. Amazingly, I'm talking about the way the Browns actually played football last night. Well, at least for a half. At least for a half when they gashed Pittsburgh and ran it right down their throats. Of course, that one-two punch of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt is still the game's best. And the Cowboys are still morons for putting a sign around Amari Cooper's neck which read, if you can haul it, you can have it. Considering they just gave this dude away. And he's killing it for Cleveland when the Cowboys need a wide receiver worse than ever before. Hell, they even made Jacoby Brissett. Well, Jacoby Brissett even made Jacoby Brissett and everybody else forget for a minute or two that he's Jacoby Brissett. 
at least long enough to be named the first Madden player of the game in this new era of streaming Thursday night football. You know, kind of like a nod to the actual John Madden's old horse trailer player of the game. Kind of like that, except way, way, way more lame and way, way, way more awkward. Awkward. If I were picking, I'm going to take Nick Chubb. You know, without even thinking about it, Nick Chubb. But if they had given us Nick Chubb, it would have robbed us of one of the all-time great post-game exchanges. And by great, I mean terrible. I mean painful and cringe. Check out Chad Ochocinco appearing on the TNF set out of nowhere to clown the so-called player of the game. A guy who's supposed to be honoring but instead is mocking and clowning him right to his face. Check this out. Your overall is going up from a 70 to a 72. Hey, look, I played again. Don't disrespect him like that. That's disrespect Child, please. Uh, you still got eight weeks to go. We still got eight weeks to go. I got one. To I got one week. That's, that's the politically correct answer. For me, to you, you have eight weeks to go. I mean... <laughs> you imagine if a media member had rolled up on him like that back in the day? And then and now this is the way the world's changed. He just got right up in that guy's face and completely insulted him, clowned him, mocked him. I mean, amazing. Like, hey, Jacoby, great job. You're the player of the game. Great job. Congratulations. Your grade just got bumped from a D-plus to a C-minus. Way to go, man. Hey, yo, Jacoby, congratulations. On a scale of 1 to 1,000, 1 to you just got a 6. Nice, nice job. Ocho even hit him. Did you pick up on this? He hit him with, you got 8 weeks to go. You have 8 weeks to go. And Jacoby came back with the standard player response of, no, I've got 1 week. One week at a time, my man. One game at a time, my man. One day at a time, my man. One practice at a time, my guy. Be where my feet are, yo. And Ocho's just up in his face with you've got eight weeks to go, as in you know that creep is coming back to snatch that gig no matter what you do. You can get that grade from a D-plus to a C-minus. But that creep's coming back. You got eight weeks to go. But hey, sure. Enjoy this moment and enjoy me mocking you and clowning you. And enjoy that amazing Madden rating bump from horrendous to just plain horrible. Proud of you, brah. You have eight weeks to go. The only people who got clowned worse were the people who bet the under on the total points when the betting opened up this week because that number opened at 40 and a half. Fast forward to the last play of the game. Browns up 23-17. Do the math. 40. 40. And remember, the over-under was 40.5. And at that point, before the last play of the game, 40. Then this. Trubisky, shotgun, looking. Passes caught by Johnson. Pitch it back for Claypool. Toss it back. Running around, Najee Harris, he loses the ball, it's fumbled around, and it's recovered by the Browns in the end zone for a touchdown. Cleveland ends it with a defensive score. Denzel Ward 
and it's over. The Browns bounce back after the brutal loss to the Jets on Sunday. They knock off the Pittsburgh. You talk about a bad beat. You talk about a brutal beat. You talk about searing pain for anybody who had the under and a total miracle for anybody who had the over. That's how we got to a 29-17 final. It's, It's really funny, unless it happens to you. And it's really awesome if you're on the other side. I mean, I think that's hilarious because I hit the Browns, not for the podcast, but I hit the Browns for minus four. So I thought that was absolutely hilarious. Had I taken the under, there'd be nothing funny about that at all. That's what makes this gambling game so hard, dog. It makes you want to choke. Choke on your spit. Bo, ba, 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 40.5, ba, ba. 40. Or makes you choke even harder than the Browns did last week. And the fact is, without that epic collapse last week, Browns fan would be celebrating 3-0 and right now. 3-0 and with their backup as they wait for their creep Urgh! face of the franchise to come back. Do you imagine how great they'd be feeling about themselves right now? 3-0 and with Jacoby Brissett? You know, that whole thing was, we just got to stay above water. We just have to stay above water. We just have to stay afloat until we get our creep back. They'd be 3-0. and They'd be feeling so good about themselves. The Haslams would be all, hey, Rome, you see? You see? We are still America's team. How you like us now? 3-0 and with Jacoby Brissett. We're America's team. We are. You're actually not. You're actually not. You're not even Cleveland's team. You're not even Ohio's team, I should say. The Bengals are the most disappointing team in the NFL this year. They're winless. And they're still more Ohio's team than you are. Hope you enjoyed that win because pretty much nobody else did. I know Jacoby didn't. Imagine Jacoby rolling off that field. Hell yeah. Player of the game. How you like me now? Your rating went up from 70 to 72. Your grade went up from D plus to C minus. And you're on the clock. Yo, you got eight weeks. You have eight weeks to go. But a former player just mocking him like that to his face. Child, please. Straight up. Nothing makes me happier than that sound. That is Shopify's new sales sound. It is incredible. The sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. I mean... How many reasons are there to love Shopify? How about this? Shopify gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business only. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. You know this if you own a business. Scaling that business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. I feel like I own a small business, this podcast. I know where we started. I know where we are right now. And I know where I still want to go. Success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. And nobody understands that better than Shopify. I love, for instance, how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. And like mine, Shopify powers over millions of businesses from first sale to full scale. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is possibility powered by Shopify. What you want to do is go to shopify.com slash Rome, 
all lowercase r-o-m-e for a free 14-day trial to get full access to shopify's entire suite of features grow your business with shopify today go to shopify.com slash r-o-m-e all lowercase and do it right now shopify.com slash rome seth wickersham is my guest seth great to have you back how are you What's up, man? How are you? I am great. It's good to have you on the show. Thanks so much. Listen, you and I talked when the hardback version dropped. Great, great book. Obviously, a lot has transpired since then, and there is some new material in the paperback version. Can you give us an idea? What is new in the paperback version? What have you uncovered? Yeah, I think that one of the most interesting things that's happened since the book came out is obviously Tom Brady's 2022 year. I mean, for someone who's been just been a model of consistency, and low drama for most of his two decades in the public eye. This has been a very atypical year for Tom Brady. Remember, he started to get a little disenchanted with the way the Bucks were being run towards the end of last season. They lose that playoff game to the Rams when they, you know, isolate Cooper Cup on a safety at the very end after he'd helped rally them back. And then he retired. He, you know, and remember my colleagues Jeff Darlington and Adam Schefter broke news that he was going to retire. He said he wasn't, then he did. And then a week after that, he talks about unretiring. And so what I try to get into is that decision a little bit, the forces that led to it, and then obviously what led him to come back only a month later and Bruce Arians, you know, moved from the executive suite, of, co- of course, now moved to the executive suite. Of course, now he's like back on the sideline last week and not exactly a calm presence on the sideline either. But I try to get into that and exactly like where his headspace was during that month away. Seth Wickersham is joining us, so a lot to unpack there. There's probably like 10 follow-up questions in that alone, but what about that? Why don't we start, (laughs) Seth, with the retirement itself? Based on your reporting, where was he with his headspace? Why did he, in fact, retire when he did? Well, look, remember he said, it's not always about what I want. Sometimes it's about what my family wants. And I think that there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, look, he's ventured into a lot of different businesses trying to get that transition for when he does walk away to be as smooth as possible. And then he's pulled in a lot of different directions. Um, that said, I think that he knew last year that the Bucks weren't as buttoned up as they should have been going into the playoffs. And I think that the way they lost that playoff game had to really stick with him because, again, even though he, he was unhappy his last couple of years in New England, the Patriots prepared for games to the nth degree. And at Tampa Bay, it was a little bit like going from Harvard to Florida State. He wanted something different for his last couple of years. But then once he starts competing, he knows the right way. He knows the right way to prepare for games. And the Bucks, he knew, weren't really looking to repeat or weren't prepared to repeat. And sure enough, they didn't. And I think that people around him started to notice in you know late December, January, that this might be it. But... Of course, it only lasted a week. And now this is something I don't know firsthand, but it had to have been hard to be his family, have them kind of be the, re- the justification for him walking away. And then a month later, he says, you know, after a month away, I've realized that my place is on the field. That must have been kind of awkward for them. Had to have been. Seth Wickersham is joining us. He's the author of It's Better to Be Feared. It's released now on paperback. It is available online and in all bookstores. I mean, Seth, the way you lay that out, I don't want to say it's all Bruce Arians, but how much of it had to do with Bruce Arians? I mean, is that a matter of they were not buttoned up? They were not prepared? It was not like it was in New England. And is it because of Arians and that culture that he set up and the way he prepared his team? Yeah, it's a different person. I mean, and, you know, I think their personal relationship is is very good. But, like, again, people had told me just about Brady not feeling like that they were as tight as they needed to be going into the playoffs. And then, sure enough, you know, 
They get down against the Rams. They rally them back. It looks like they have all this momentum and they lose it in the last, you know, 44 seconds, whatever it was. And so, I think that one of the most interesting things also about, about his, when he walked away is, you know, these rumors that he would consider playing for another team came up almost immediately. Obviously the Dolphins were kind of in the mix. San Francisco was in the mix. And I think it was interesting that the Bucks kind of played this pretty cool. Like they didn't panic and they kind of knew deep down inside that he would probably return I don't know exactly want to use the phrase called his bluff because I don't think that's quite it, but it was kind of a version of that where they knew that he needed a little bit of a distance and a little bit of a cooling off period. And then he'd kind of work his way back to wanting to play. And I mean, again, pretty amazing for a guy who's been so, you know, out of so low key and not very dramatic to have all this stuff happen. And we haven't even gotten into the stuff that's happened the last two months. Right. I mean, for instance, Seth, what did you make when you when he came back? First of all, I mean, what did you make of him leaving in the middle of camp for 11 days? And I I don't even want to hear that he doesn't need that practice time. That's beside the point. That is just so out of character for a guy like that. What do you make of him leaving? And then what did you think when you saw him upon his return looking as miserable as he looked? He doesn't look happy. And I think that's one of the things that a lot of people close to him have, have noticed and a lot of fans and a lot of just, you know, casual observers. Is it like for someone who loves the game as much as he does, he does not look very happy right now. And it just can't be a good time. I mean, obviously, like it's the beginning of the season. They're getting some irons, you know, some, some wrinkles ironed out on offense. But, I mean, there is almost on a daily basis articles in People, in CNN, and the New York Post about the state of his marriage. And obviously, it's something that they've been very public about over the years. I write about a lot of, look, what I was trying to do with the book was take readers as close as I possibly could to the forces and the factors that led to the greatness of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and show the cost of it. I didn't want to give like a hokey sanitized version. I wanted to try to give a full 360 degree view at it. And the cost for Tom Brady has clearly been along with his unprecedented career, has been a lot of the strain that he's put on his family. And I think that you're seeing some of that play out right now. I mean, Seth, do you think that he picked his football family over his actual family? Is that just not fair? Is that too simplistic? Or is that essentially what he did when he came back? I think it's too simplistic. And, you know, I'm not sure that his wife, you know, was so opposed to him coming back, although she's been vocal that, you know, she doesn't want him to get more injured and she wouldn't mind it if he was around the house more and helping more with the kids and and more present. But again, he's just got so many outside things going on. All of these things that we, you know, we always, we always talk about how athletes leave the game and they don't have any transition. They don't have an off ramp. He's got a lot of off ramps going and all of that stuff just requires his time. And I think that like, you'd have to wonder, like, you know, when does it end? And he's just got a lot on his plate right now. All of the things that he asked for, by the way, but he does have a lot on his plate. And as you can tell, he just doesn't seem like himself out there. Not at all. Are you craving some protein after a good workout? I always am. Listen, this time, don't make a shake or eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender and made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach, anywhere at all. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you clones if you do not see it ask for it by name because no other jerky compares oh trapper what's your beef
Seth Wickersham is joining us. Also, Seth, in the book, you get into the dynamics, of course, obviously, about the relationship between Brady and Belichick. What can you tell us about the private meeting the two of them had following last year's Patriots-Bucks game? I know it's a, quote, private meeting, but what kind of insight can you share? What was discussed? You know, their relationship wasn't, it didn't end in New England on very good terms. There was a lot of friction over the last couple of years. I wrote about it stemming on, on everything others people did to you, stemming from everything from Brady's desire to have a contract that would take him until age 45, which he is right now, to the role of Alex Guerrero, his trainer and best friend, um, the role of Jimmy Garoppolo, and you know the fact that Bill didn't want to trade him and was very invested in him. So when Brady left and he comes back for that great game last year, the Patriots versus the Bucks, which I just thought was one of the best games I'd ever seen, just so so rare that you get to see two astute football minds go at it like that, especially to the very end, like that game did. About 20 minutes after that game, Belichick goes to meet with Tom Brady privately. And later on, I was able to learn that, like, look, that was a great meeting of mutual respect. I think that while there isn't always a lot of like between the two men, there is a lot of love. And I think that um, that said, I think that they also left the meeting feeling like their relationship was, you know, too complicated and had they had gone through so many things that you know it wasn't get, going to get tidied up and fixed in a 20 minute conversation i think that they're a divorced couple who have kind of agreed to be civil for the best sake of everybody but there's no chance that they're going to get remarried I actually love that line you just said, that there was a lot, not a lot of like, but a lot of love, and they got divorced. They stayed together for the sake of everybody, but they can't get remarried. Is there any update? Is there any change in that relationship between the two since then? I don't think so. I mean, I think they're both conditioned to move on, and I think that, like like I said again, I mean, I think there was a lot of, like, you know, pride hurt, I guess, maybe on the Brady side over his departure. Remember... You know, he wanted to stay in New England. August of 2019, he and Bill have six Super Bowls together. He's trying to negotiate a contract. He gets so frustrated. He almost leaves training camp. He's so frustrated. He ends up signing a two-year deal, which was really a one-year deal with a raise. And 48 hours after that deal was announced, he and Giselle Bunchen put their Boston area house on the market. And, you know, to leave the way that he, that they, that he did, where they kind of opened the door for him to walk out and he walked out and then go and win the Super Bowl, I think that even before that Patriots-Bucks game a year ago, you started to hear people on his side, Alex Guerrero, his dad, Tom Brady Sr., you know, start to vent a little bit about the way that things ended in New England and, and the way that Tom felt treated by Bill Belichick. So, Seth, before you go, if that's the way that ended and that did not end well, how do you think it ends for Belichick? For instance, you've covered this franchise for the better part of 20 years. Ultimately... Do you think that he informs Bob Kraft when he's had enough? Or is Kraft going to one day have a very difficult conversation where he goes to Bill Belichick and says, it's time to go in a new direction? I, I think both are on the table. I would be surprised if it ever got to the point where Robert Kraft had to talk to him about that. I mean, you think about how much that man, Bill Belichick, has meant for that franchise, how much he's increased everybody's stature, their wealth. In my opinion, he has earned the right to walk away whenever he wants, regardless of how good or bad the Patriots are. Now, Belichick says he's year to year, and I think that he's probably being right with that. But I do think that like now that the all-time win record is in sight, it wouldn't surprise me if he tried to hang on a couple more years and, and get that record before he walked away and leave the franchise in good shape, by the way. I mean, he has an enormous amount of pride. He would never 
Like when Bill Walsh retired, Bill Walsh wanted the 49ers to kind of secretly fall off a cliff. Instead, they go, you know, whatever it was, 14 and two and win the Super Bowl. He doesn't, Belichick is not the same way. He wants to leave that team in really good shape so that whoever his successor is picks up a good program. And one of Bill's legacies could always be that he made interest, he made decisions that he felt were in the best long term interest of the team. And, and that was proof of it. Seth, let me follow that really quickly. What was that about Bill Walsh? Was he just like that? Did things not end well? Was he complicated like that? That's an amazing thing you just said. Yeah, he was very complicated. And, you know, I think he thought that when he handed the team over to George Seifert, they were going to fall flat. And instead, you know, that might have been their best team. Um, you know, they go and beat the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. But yeah, well, I mean, I think Walsh was just different. I just think that like he had burned himself out. Remember, it was different than Belichick. He had burned himself out. And when he walked away, I think that he just had so much pride in what he had built that it felt unfinished. And he was kind of secretly hoping that that team would not succeed as well without him. Of course, they ended up succeeding very well. And, you know, Bill tried to his legacy just felt unfinished. And of course, that led to him writing that 700 page book that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars on Amazon that every coach owns and considers like a coaching Bible. Because he felt like he he just had to get all of the thoughts in his head, all of that he had put into the organization. He wanted people to know what he had done. Different dude. All right, so finally you just said that he burned himself out. Different By dude. the way, how, how has Bill Belichick not burned himself out? It's amazing. You know, so I spent a lot of time this offseason with Sean McVay um, because he clearly had come close to burning himself out at age 36. <laughs> and, you know, I, I wanted to get inside, like, again, the cost of, of what he's done. And Sean McVay, for as hard as he works, kind of knows that he can't do what Bill does. And if Bill's the standard, he doesn't know whether like he'll be able to keep it up because there's a part of Sean McVay that thinks, hey, look, I'm going to do this for another couple of years and then walk away. And then another part of him is like, look, I'm going to be doing this when I'm 60. And you're going to be saying, like, how in the world are you still coaching? McVay calls it competitive stamina. And he's just in awe. He's gotten to know Bill a little bit over the years getting drinks or, or a coffee here or there. And he, he just talks about Bill's astounding competitive stamina and how he doesn't know, frankly, if he's got that in him. It's really amazing how Bill, you know, at age 70, keeps up this workload. It's incredible. Him, Nick Saban at the same age, does the same thing. I wonder, Seth, and I read that piece. It's a great piece. You did spend time with him. You got great access okay. with McVeigh. It's a great, great piece. It's a great read. I would finally say, I didn't mean to keep it this long, but this is so, 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 so good. I wonder if Belichick, if he had been offered $20 million a year or more at some point, if he would have that same competitive stamina, the money that McVeigh would look like, look at from a streaming company or something else. I, You know, Bill and Tom are two very different people, but the one thing that they share is that I don't think there's anything that makes them feel more alive, more whole, more like their essential self than competing on Sundays. And I think they both know that maybe it's, you know, spectacularly unhealthy <laughs> in other areas of their life, but it's something that they need on a very primal level. And so, like, it wouldn't surprise me if the networks had come after Bill and offered him even more money at some point, or at least seen if he was ever interested in doing that. But I mean, Bill, he has made he's made a lot of money over his career, but he is a coach and he's it's the only thing he's been doing since he graduated from college. And I just, you know, maybe later in life he might do something different. I don't know. But I mean, I think that's where he feels, like I said, most like his essential self and the same with Tom Brady.
He is a senior writer for ESPN. He is a New York Times bestselling author. This book is an amazing book. It's Better to Be Feared. I read it in its hardback version. Great, great book. It is now out in paperback. It is available online. It's available in bookstores. There are new chapters. There's an epilogue as well. And the hardback version was a New York Times bestseller. Seth, didn't mean to keep you so long, but what can I tell you, man? You're a great guest and a great journal. Really appreciate you. Great to have you on the show, Seth. Thank you very much. My pleasure, man. Thank you. So I've got a question for you guys. Do you feel like your antiperspirant keeps you dry all day long? Well, Dove Men Plus Care Dry Spray has an instantly drying antiperspirant formula that can help give you a cleaner feel and offers 48-hour sweat and odor protection. I said 48 hours. Generally, if something seems too good to be true, it is, but not in this case. Dove Men Dry Spray feels light and clean on your skin, and it's quick and it's easy to use, especially when you're on the move. Also, Dove Men Dry Spray contains Dove's unique one-quarter moisturizing cream that helps to protect your skin. It leaves your skin feeling comfortable, and it does protect it. You want that. You need that. Try Dove Men Dry Spray. Goes on dry, clean feel all day. Devin Lloyd is my guest. Devin, good to have you on. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. Really good to have you. So, dude, I got to say, your first two games have been unbelievable. You had 11 tackles in the opener and a really important sack. Then, arguably, your second game was even better than your first. You had the shutout against the Colts. You had a pick. I mean, it can't be as easy as you're making it look. Or maybe, dude, has it been that easy? I wouldn't say easy, um, but, you know, I definitely put in a lot of time uh, in college as far as watching film, watching NFL film. And I feel like a lot of it is helping me um, right now. You know, it helped translate to um, understanding the game, understanding how offenses are trying to attack me, and um, really just knowing where to be at the right time. I'll tell you what, you don't sound like somebody who's played two games in the NFL. You sound like somebody who's been in much longer. You mentioned college. You know, I, I'm on record as saying, I think Kyle Whittingham is one of my favorite college coaches. I've got immense respect for him. I have immense respect for the program. I've always said this. So what about that? Like, how much of that Utah experience – has to do with the fact the start that you've gotten off to a quick start and then what was that Utah experience like for you yeah it was huge and um you know I love coach Witt too and one thing about him is he always does things the right way and he makes sure that everyone in the program does things the right way and that translates directly to right now um you know the little things that you wouldn't even think about as a player that actually do end up um you know coming into effect or come game day and so you know I went through four and a half years of that and um, overall, you know, I love my experience there. Um, you know, I met so many people, lifetime relationships. And, um, you know, we won a lot of games as well. And I grew a lot as a man. So, um, you know, the overall experience is, was amazing. And it definitely prepared me for this level. It's a great response. I'm not surprised by any of that. Devin Lloyd joining us. So you get that first career pick against the Colts. And like what I'm hearing, and this is true, a lot of that is the hard work, the film study. How gratifying is it then to put in that kind of time and have it pay off that quickly with that first pick? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it was awesome. Um, more than anything, too, I'm glad we got the win. Um, you know, I definitely um, was happy to do that um more than anything you know it's just uh finding a way to continue to build on top of that now you know i'm somebody who's never satisfied and so i'm always you know looking for i wouldn't say more but just trying to get better and so um that, that was a great feeling though getting the first pick um you know it kind of came right to me it was a gift the way i looked at it um so 
came right to me. But, um, you know, like I said, I'm already on to the Chargers now. I get it. Devin Lloyd joining us. Let me ask you something. You're only two games in, but I'm kind of curious. Watching you guys from afar, when I look at that secondary, I mean, a lot of it's scheme, but it seems like the unit is built to turn the opposition over. And what I mean by that is it just seems like you guys have a bunch of dudes that have ball skills, that can ball hawk, that have a background or a knack for ripping it from the opposition. Is that what it feels like? I mean, do you guys have guys that are just built for that type of thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I, I just see nothing but playmakers, guys who are just football players, guys who understand the game and how to, you know, make an impact on the game. And that's at all levels. Um, you know, DBs all the way to the front seven. I feel like all of us are just, you know, playmakers and, um, you know, good at a lot of things. And so, you know, we're always there to help one another. So, you know, let's say somebody missed a tackle, I know that they're going to be right there behind me or whatever the case may be, you know. You know, we could talk about how complicated other banks make it to redeem credit card rewards, like how they require minimums, and worse yet, how the rewards flat out expire. Or we could talk about how with Discover, you can redeem your rewards for cash in any amount at any time. I mean, you want to talk about amazing. And now that we've talked about that, why don't we get back to doing what we do best, talking some junk and talking sports. You know, what we do, where we live, who we are. Learn more at discover.com slash redeem rewards. Terms do apply. Hey, Devin, I think that you ended up in a great spot with them and in that scheme. But to be honest, I think the team also got an absolutely great pick with you at number 27. I'm curious, what was draft day like for you personally? Where did you think that you would go? Yeah, um, based on my film, I know I didn't uh, really have the best combine, so to say. But, um, you know, I felt like I was going to go top 10 and, you know, that obviously didn't happen. Um, those, those two hours, I'm not going to lie, they were, they were kind of long because, you know, going in, I'm thinking, okay, like, uh, just don't be don't be nervous or anything. Like, just let it come to you. And it was like that for the first uh, 15 to 20 picks. And then after that, I was like, okay, like, what's going on here? Like, And then, you know, it was just looking at my phone constantly. But, um, you know, more than anything, like, I was just grateful once I did hear my name called and um i mean i was just ready to get to work i was ecstatic to find out where i was going and um you know i'm glad jacksonville is my home see that's really interesting like so for instance and, and i get that i believe that like you got beyond that it's time to go to work i've got a job to do i mean did you once that was over did you kind of let that slide off your back or are you keeping quote receipts and do you remember and are you running on any of that kind of fuel and going to remember those teams that passed on you um I mean, you're always going to remember that day because, you know, that, that's, you know, a life-changing day. That I mean, that day changed my life forever. Um, you know, I always, for me personally, um, I mean, I would say a little bit of both, yes and no, because I do remember the teams that, you know, were in front of me that probably, you know, were talking about getting me or, um, you know, had opportunity. But at the same time, you know, I'm very spiritual and I, I understand that, you know, everything happened the way it's supposed to happen. So, you know, I, I hold no resentment or anything like that. Um, but at the same time, you know, you still do remember that day and waiting there and, um, you know, you know that, that two hours, which, like I said, I'm grateful to go on the, the first day. But, you know, that was a long two hours for me. So. Well, I get it, dude. Devin Lloyd joining us. I get it. It is a day that you spent your entire life working towards and others made sacrifices for you to be in that position. And to that point, you know, we talked about your background and your journey and what you learned at Utah. You go back before then. What about your father and your mother both serving in the U.S. Navy? So as a son of a pair of Navy vets, how do you think being raised in a military family helped shape you and get you ready for this opportunity? 
Yeah, um, really just self-discipline and understanding how to be uh, a team player, so to say, to, to work with others and do so, uh, you know, really just do it the right way. Um, but really self-discipline, um, doing things on your own without people to tell you, without people telling you, um, you know, a lot of stuff that I did, um, growing up, it was kind of on my own. And so, you know, I was really independent. And so, um, that just taught me a lot about just not relying on anybody for you to, you know, get, get your work done or do what you're supposed to do, you know? Um, so just a lot of that type of stuff. All right, so before I ask you about the Chargers and turning loose, let me ask you about Jacksonville. They've had some challenging seasons, but the support from the fan base has never wavered. I mean, they're awesome. What have you learned about the fans in Duval already? Yeah, like you said, um, they're going to be with us through the, the good times and the bad. And um, I mean, really, you know, they just love their team. Uh, that's one thing that I really um, noticed since I've been out here is, you know, they're, they're really diehard fans and um, super underrated, I know, in the last few years. Hasn't been the best <laughs> by any means, but uh, they still stuck with us. And, uh, I mean, I've seen nothing but just support and love. And, you know, I know it's only going to continue to grow as we get better and better. They are great fans. All right, so finally, you've got another challenge coming up this week. You've got the Chargers. I know you're getting ready for that. You know, when you look at film, I'm kind of curious, what concerns you the most about them? What do you see? Yeah, um, well, obviously, you got to start with their uh, quarterback, Justin Herbert. Um, you know, a great player. Uh, I mean, someone who can make all the throws is athletic. Um, so, um, you know, starts with him. But then their their O line um, is actually they they work really well together as a unit. And then obviously their receivers. Um, I mean, they got a lot of really just dynamic receivers. You know, big body guys that can that can run and uh, I mean just make big plays. The running back uh, Austin Eckler is really good too as well. Um, especially in space. And, I mean, really, he's like a true do-it-all type of guy. So, uh, I mean, they present a lot of challenges, uh, uh, definitely. Um, they got a lot of good players. And, you know, I know, um, you know, they have good coaches as well. That's a great breakdown right there. I was going to ask you about Eckler because he has not had the, the, the best start to the season. I love the guy. I love his background. I love his story. I love his grit. I love his heart. And I think you're right. I think he's dangerous in open space. Do you feel like you're going to be matched up with him and get some time against him? And then how do you approach that? Yeah, I can definitely see a lot of that, uh, getting him the ball in space, getting the ball out quick, and um, really um, for him uh, specifically, and then you know a lot of their playmakers as well, um, but him specifically too, I, I can see that a lot. All right, Jacksonville 1-1, one and one, and they're 1-0 in divisional play. Devin Lloyd is off to a great start, two games in. Devin, really, really appreciate you and the conversation. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Good luck. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate you. Well. PJ in Pennsylvania. It's good to have you, PJ. How are you? Romy, how you doing? Good, dude. How about you? Frustrated on this frustrated Friday. I bet. Here's my here's my take. Why can't we hold more accountability to Mike Tomlin? We've heard this song and dance before. You know, we know who our offensive coordinator is. He's done the same in Maryland. He's done the same in LSU. We've had issues with our OC before, going back to Todd Haley. It's just like Mike Tomlin, he's a defensive coordinating coach. We have a great facility. We have, we have great, uh, great people coming in wanting to, to, to coach there. I don't understand why he can't get this right. I mean, here we go again, another you know, mediocre season with a 20-round draft pick, and us Steeler fans are supposed to be okay with it. You know, Miserable performance, but the moment he shows up on the podium, we're all supposed to forget it because he's so good at talking. I guess I'm just frustrated, Romy. 
it's it's very devastating because we have the talent there and it just seems like you know especially seeing it yesterday that i my fear is he might lose the locker room the wide receivers are frustrated it seems like everyone is let me jump in first of all pj nice job pj really nice job paul's dog i have a prediction He's going to begin the call by saying, Robbie Room! Let's find out. We go to Paul's dog. What's up, dog? Hello, Rim Room! The fireworks are scary. I have to hide under Paul's bed. Sorry for the long time, no bark. But Buddy needed a break. So, Paul took me to a farm way out in the country, and I chased some turkeys. Have you been to the turkeys? They're a whole bunch of gobble-gobble jive talkers. Those are some messy, ugly, stinky animals. Just like Vic and NoCal. Another ugly, stinky mess was last night in Blacksburg. The West Virginia Mountaineer came in, took the biggest hokey sign, grabbed it by the neck, swung it around, and put it in the ground. Uh, embarrassing. Roar. Me going middle hydrant. That is an alpha move. Rough me. Rum route. a boy. I missed that dog. Bella's cat. Hello, Bella's cat. Hello. Thank you for taking Meow Call. I am the cat that belongs to Bella B and Meowgery. Meow. Actually, I'm just one of the six cats she owns right now. Now, I'm not saying Bella is a cat lady. Meow. But every time she goes grocery shopping, she single-handedly raises the stock price of the Whiskers brand. And that son of a bitch, Paul's dog, was talking junk on Twitter, saying he's going to smash me. Well, listen here, dog breath. Ain't nobody smashing Bella's cat. Not meow. Not ever. Thank you for the yarn. I hope I get a golden ticket to the smack off. I gotta go because I gotta help Bella work on today's ATP. I think what I'm supposed to say is good night, meow. Let's go to the phones. James in Portland. What's up, James? Jimmy, my man, and Albie, you've produced a lot of things in this world, like children. Now you can add cat porn to the list. And hold on, Jim. Achoo! <laughs> this is a shout-out to my boy Richie Bones in Buffalo coming from AKA the Golden Ticket Teflon Dog. Come on! <laughs> if your child goes down the street and somebody makes fun of him because he dropped the pass in a pickup game or says he's fast. What is up? What a weekend. Welcome to the program. I'm Jim Rome. What a wild, wild weekend that was. I would encourage you to start dialing right now. Coming off that NFL weekend and the college weekend and everything else, there's no way you could not have a take. Week two. 
Check that. Week Tua. Yeah. Tua going deep. Oh, Tua going to need a real bad after the season. He took his money. And also, it's got the Hornets. When you show the kind of brass set that the Dolphins have in the first two weeks, it really does buy you the right to say whatever the hell you want. Got the Hornets. Snap to Murray. Drops back to throw. Looking. Takes off. Jim, I've been a Raider fan since 1974. I have officially divorced these bags. Did it at a divorce. I hate the Raiders now. This is why I ripped that gloss that I bestowed upon you as America's team. That's why. Oh, and that whole little Deshaun Watson deal, too. I mean, the more disappointing thing was the booing at the My end. guy? That is it an was amazingly a, horrible take. I mean, you didn't really just say that, did you? Miles Garrett is way out of line. You guys deserve to be booed. Jordan Schultz joining us. Who choked worse, the Ravens, the Browns, or the Raiders? Ra- yeah. Um, I... I would say, and that's so tough. Twitter. Nate Hackett is the Nate Peterman of coaching. Nate in GR. It's a lot of Nates in there. This bum, Nathaniel Hackett, really has me feeling some kind of way. And I apologize. I know bum smack is not allowed. What are you doing? I understand you're beaten down, but do you have any self-respect that you're begging for that guy? Justin Reed is my guest. Two for one special going on right now. Like, how much fun are you having as a chief? Man, so much fun, bro. When you're winning, everything is sweet. Just spraying this cat with ketchup and mustard, like emptying the bottle on this guy. My man is a human condiment. Touchdown, Bills! I've been a Patriots fan since I was a young kid. Buffalo was off the charts. Josh Allen, he doesn't have a cannon. He's got a a howitzer. It's picked up by Byron Murphy! Byron Murphy Jr. is joining us. Oh, I knew it was a touchdown. (laughs) Should have held that ball all the way back to Arizona, but... Did you know for a fact it was all good? I knew for a fact it was good. Down on the first and goal for the Eagles. Order your ribeyes, like some real thin, fry up them onions, slop on that freaking cheese with, and savor that thing. The Eagles are ready to soar. Cody, the ragdoll legend. You tried to kill your brother, so we had to separate you two. But you're mad at me. You're going to go dump in my fire. Fireplace. You have a big dump in, in my fireplace. Chase Bryce. Hey. What was going through your mind while that ball was in the air? <laughs> I'm like, man, it's going to be kind of short. I saw the tip and I saw the catch. Man, I didn't know what to do with my hands. Get back to Judge, giving so much to the organization. Damn, Yankee fan. Part. I mean, I started off thinking you were the best guy in the history of the world, and now I'm thinking, well, not that. I hate to be this venal. That guy just left a half a mil on the table. Unbelievable. Twitter. I've got beef with dorks, the gargle Listerine. I'd rather smell post coital morning Jägermeister breath in that green bottle of decomposing hooker juice. Abby and Dahmer Diego. Amazing. Pat Narduzzi. I appreciate Jim. I'm doing great. You know, it gets me cranked up to, you know, welcome to the jungle Jim Rome show. See, that's the Pat Narduzzi. I'm Jim Rome speaking on behalf of the FDA. When flavoring your shish kebabs for the grill, please use soy sauce and not Robitussin. Thank you. You know what? It's the only reason why I do. Don't be like me. Be better. It's not about the bricks. It's not about the mortar. It's about the people and the lives that you affect while you're here. Help me, Rome. Help me now. Twitter. I-M-E. E-M-A stands for intercourse me every day. This is Wells now. We suck again. Oh, what a catch. Paul's dog. I mean, what happened? The dog catcher get that much? Me. Going middle hydrant. That is an alpha move. Well, listen here, Doc Breath. Ain't nobody smashing Bella's cat. Not meow. Not ever. We see cat, mate. Regards Sapphire trying to dry hump Bella's cat. 
Does that sound like a cat humping another cat? Sapphire does not sound like that. You can add cat porn to the list. Oh, is it 9 o'clock? Definitively no. Cocojones. Robert Slurver. Irvine Company. You're not apartment home. Rum Rao. Ime. Pio Horn Dog. Udoka. Since that one dude blew that butt biscuit the in the Monday Night Football movie. <laughs> You and Big Hit Todd. Oh. Sportscasters who say, uh, um. Keflon Johnsonville Sausages. We still got eight weeks to go. Come on. Come after me. I'm a man. You're not a man. You're a goat. I'm 40. Good night now. Good night now.